very excited that we can worship together and have really enjoyed our time already of being able to sing together and specifically being able to partake in Lord's Supper together. What an awesome opportunity to remind each other that because of the broken body, because of the shed blood of Christ, that we have hope this morning. And uh, as we get into our time in the Word this morning, uh, it's been my prayer and my desire this week that uh, as we come to this time of opening Scripture, that this would assist us in magnifying the Lord, and that our focus would be firmly squared on Him, and that we would rejoice in who He is. Uh, In light of the significance of Christmas, uh, what we've decided to do is take a pause from uh, our sermon series in the book of Colossians. And uh, what we're going to do, starting with today, we're going to talk about the virgin birth, and then we're going to cover other topics uh, that relate to what we would traditionally think of with Christmas. And the reason we want to do this is we understand that there is a lot of commotion, there's a lot of noise, we understand that there's distraction, that there's heartache and there's suffering, there is a sense in which there are times when we don't know what's next, we don't know what's coming. And what Christmas does is it points us to a manger where an extraordinary baby was born, who through we have hope, and through him we have a kingdom that will reign forever. And uh, as we think about this morning, it's this idea that Emmanuel, God, is with us. He has come. And so this morning, I'm very excited to talk about how he came. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to this time together. As I was thinking about this, as I was preparing, uh, what came to my mind was the nativity scene. And there is a nativity scene that has come out in recent years that is referred to as the millennial nativity scene. Do we have that picture? Thank you, Nikki. So the millennial nativity scene... And as you can see, the response of those in the manger is quite different from a traditional nativity scene. And I think what this picture does, what this scene does, is it shows us how our society can be so distracted and how we can have such a difficult time focusing on that which is most important. And and when we come to the nativity scene, at least the original one, what we find is we find the wise men, we find Mary and Joseph on bent knee, glorifying and magnifying that little baby. And we, we can take that down. I know it's a distraction, but, but it, it, it hits on this point that there is a sense that we can struggle to focus on what is important in this time of year. And, and the reality is there's a baby that was born who came to give us hope. He came to restore our relationship to God by covering the, the cost of our sin. And uh, each of us is aware that we're busy during this time and that there's a flood of information that we're, currently, that we're constantly sifting through. There's distractions that come our way. In Christmas, one of the incredible things about the celebration of Christmas is it helps us to focus for a few weeks on who created us and for who we are to live. And, and my argument this morning as we look at the virgin birth is that as we understand the virgin birth, I think what we'll find is that we will daily focus on Christ and what he's done. The virgin birth shows us how he came and it shows us why we have hope. And so uh, as we consider the virgin birth, what I hope to do is first and foremost to show us the importance of it. And and partly also what I want to do is to show us the role of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the virgin birth. And so we're going to do this in three key points. We're going to talk about how Mary was an ordinary woman chosen for an extraordinary purpose. We're going to talk about how Mary's son, Jesus, is God and man. And then we'll finish by talking about Mary's response. And she magnified the Lord. And so let's read in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. 
And this is what the word of the Lord says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together as we open the text this morning. Jesus, we thank you this morning for the opportunity we have to open your word. And Lord, as we study and as we consider what we see We pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment to understand what is here. And ultimately, we pray that the response in our hearts would be to magnify you. And it's these things that we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the first point I want to talk about this morning is this idea that Mary was an ordinary woman who was chosen for an extraordinary purpose. There are two major ditches that we can find ourselves going into if we are not careful as it relates to Mary. On one side of the ditch is the the, the issue of denying the virgin birth altogether, denying that she was a virgin at conception, denying that she was a virgin when she gave birth to Christ. And what this argument does is it, 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 it takes scripture and it rejects it. And what it does is it, it deludes it and it causes it to not be what is truth. And then on the other side of this argument is this belief of, of Mary being more than what scripture has presented her to be. It's this belief that she is more than what the scripture has laid out of who she is. And the danger of this is that we place the traditions of men over the teachings of scripture. And so the task of the disciple of Jesus as we study scripture is to humbly receive from the word of God and discern what it says. Truth and the authority of what is true is not determined by a pastor, by a priest, by a pope, by a congregation. It is is only received. We do not determine what is true. We receive what is true. And our goal this morning is to, is to understand what the scripture says, nothing more, nothing less. And so as we get into this, in verse 26, this is what we see. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So obviously, we're jumping into the middle of a chapter here, and what we find is this phrase, in the sixth month. And so what is this referring to? And as we look earlier in this chapter, we see that a man named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are visited by the same angel six months prior, and they are told that they too will have a son. And the son's name is John, and we know him as John the Baptist. His role was to usher in and prepare the people for the, for the coming of the Messiah. And so here we are six months later, Gabriel comes to this town in, in Nazareth, and, and what we're told and what is believed is that this was only a town of about 400 people. 
It's a rather insignificant town that is kind of off into the background. And so what we have is, and what we believe is that this angel Gabriel has come to Mary to share a message. Verse 27 says this, To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so the word betrothed is very important for us this morning, because betrothal is, is kind of the equivalent of our word for engagement. Uh, obviously, in their day, for the Jewish people, the idea of betrothal and of engagement was quite a bit more serious and quite a bit more committed than maybe our view of engagement today. In fact, engagement or betrothal for them, in order for it to end, it required a divorce. And the reason for this is that when betrothal began, that was when the marriage was legal. So Mary, this young virgin woman, is legally married to a man named Joseph. And what's very important for us to understand in this betrothal period is that the marriage is not consummated. There is no sexual activity. There is no coming together of husband and wife during this year. So they are legally married, but they are apart from one another. And the purpose of this is that the husband is going, preparing the home, so that when he goes and retrieves his wife, that is when they will become one. And so very important for us to note that Mary is engaged to a man named Joseph, and our text indicates that he is of the house of David. And the reason this is really important is that Scripture lays out prophecy and, and promises in the Old Testament of who the Messiah will be. And one of the key things that the Messiah must be is a descendant of the line of David. And what we find is, is that, that Jesus' father, his, 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 not his biological father, but his adopted father, Joseph, is in the line and lineage of David. And what's interesting and what's really important for us to understand is that there's a king named Jehoiakim who is of David's line, who by his sinful living was actually cursed by God and told that you will not have a descendant on the throne. And this is a really important thing because earlier in Samuel, God tells David that you will always have a descendant on the throne. And so what we have here is this, this reality that Jehoiakim, the descendant of David, has sinned greatly and he cannot have any more descendants on the throne. And this is why the virgin birth is so important. Because Jesus is not the biological descendant of Joseph. He is the legal descendant of Joseph. And because he is the legal descendant of Joseph, he is in the line and lineage of David. He goes around the curse of Jehoiakim, and he also is not under the sin curse that you and I are under. And so Jesus is, uh, or the, Joseph is of the line of David. And so what we have here in summary in this first part is that we have this idea that Mary is this virgin woman who is engaged legally, legally married to Joseph. They have not come together, and he is of the line and lineage of David. And what we find as we continue in the next, next portion here in verse 28 is this. It says this in verse 28, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And so why does Gabriel come to Mary and say to her, greetings, O favored one? And, and the reason he does this is because God has chosen Mary for an extraordinary purpose. He has chosen her for the purpose of being the mother of the Messiah. And as we continue, the, 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 this idea of favor is the word grace. And so the favor or the grace of the Lord is on you. And the idea of grace is that there is no one in the history of mankind who can look to God and say, God, you owe me favor or I deserve favor. Favor is something that is freely given and is undeserved. And so Mary is the favored one of the Lord. And the phrase favored one does not indicate sinless perfection. 
Mary is not sinless. She is not without sin. Mary was conceived by the normal means, by a father and mother, and therefore the curse of Adam passes down to her. And what we have is that the reason she is highly favored, is what some translations would say, is because she is the one who will conceive in her womb the Messiah. She will give birth to him. She will see him grow. And then ultimately, he would go to the cross, die on that cross for her sins and for my sins. And it is by her, it was because she is favored, because she gets to see that come to fruition through giving birth to him. And so uh, as we continue, her reaction is very evident, I believe, that she was not of sinless perfection. She is surprised by this message. She is confused by this message that she is this favored one. And here's the thing. No one, again, can claim that they deserve the grace of God. All we can do is receive it. And all we can do is thankfully receive it. And so as we see here, it's this idea that she is processing what has been said to her and, and not understanding why it has been said to her. And the angel assures her and says this, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And I love this phrase. And what's important, again, as we look closely at this, it does not say that you have earned favor with God. It says that you have found favor with God. And so as we think about this, no man or no woman in the history of creation has ever been able to demand the favor of God. It is nothing more than a gift of a gracious God. We know that in Genesis chapter 6 that Noah, amidst a wicked generation, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we know that Noah was not sinless. We know that he was blameless. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And here's the thing. All saints who call Jesus Lord have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so as we think about this, this is what Scripture teaches us regarding Mary in this portion. She lived in Galilee in a town called Nazareth. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of King David. She was a virgin before conception, at conception, and at the time of Christ being born. She was chosen by God for the purpose of giving birth to the Messiah, and maybe the most important, she was the recipient of God's unmerited grace. What does the scripture not teach? What does the scripture not support? And here are two things. The first is that she was sinless. At conception. There is the belief that Mary was conceived by a father and mother and that God set her apart and kept her from sinfulness. And this is unfortunately contrary to the teachings of Scripture. Scripture teaches, that, teaches us that the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I would direct us earlier in this chapter to John the Baptist. The Scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit of God indwelled him in the womb, and yet he was not sinless. He was a sinner who needed the same grace that you and I need. And so she was not sinless from conception. She needed a savior. Secondly, she was not perpetually a virgin. Matthew chapter 1 clearly indicates that Joseph did not know his wife until she had given birth to Christ. Matthew chapter 1 verse 24 through 25 says uh, this, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until... She had given birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. This idea of knowing in this context is sexual activity. It's sexual intercourse. Joseph did not have sex with his wife until she had had her son. And the word until obviously indicates to us that there was a time when that did occur. Furthermore, we know in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, 
that there is a story of when Jesus' mother and brothers call for him to come into the house to rest. You remember they thought he was kind of mad because he was healing all these people and he was teaching all day. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? It is those who hear the will of God and do it. And so what we have here is, is, is evidence very clearly in Scripture to me that Mary was not perpetually a virgin and that she did have children. And so all of that to say, in conclusion of our first point, what we see and what Scripture teaches is that Mary was an ordinary woman from a small town, but she was chosen for an extraordinary purpose. She was bestowed upon grace that was not merited, but that resulted in the Messiah coming. Secondly, this morning, as we look uh, and continue in our text in verse 31, Mary's son, Jesus, is God and man. So verse 31 tells us this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. We were in the car, and we were, you know, we're beginning to listen to Christmas music now. Uh, I'm kind of one of those people, I like it after Thanksgiving. Uh, not mad if you like it before. Uh, but we're listening to Christmas music, and the song Silent Night is on, and it's a very nice song, and, uh, you know, and it's a song that obviously we're all familiar with. And it says this phrase in it. Uh, it says, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. What an incredible statement. But let's, let's take it one step further than the song does. Jesus, Lord, before thy birth. Jesus is Lord before his birth. The incarnation is just simply him taking on humanity to display to us who God is. And so Jesus is Lord before his birth. The angel continues sharing the message of God that, uh, that the God has sent him to deliver to Mary and makes her aware that she will conceive and give birth to a son. This is a very simple statement, but it is of, a, of profound importance that the scripture says that she would conceive and bear a son because there are those who would deny the humanity of Christ. They would teach that he appeared in the form of a man, but that he was not indeed. And so this clearly refutes that. Gabriel clears it up for us that, that she would conceive and bear a son. Jesus is truly man. Mary conceives and gives birth to a son. And, and the other thing that we see in this is that the testimony of Scripture, we, excuse me, what we see next is Gabriel in the same fashion with Mary's relative tells her what she will name the child. And so a few, few verses earlier, Gabriel visits with Zechariah, tells him that they're going to have a child, tells him what to name the child. And now we have six months later, Mary is visited and she is told what to name the child and she is to name him Jesus, a name that we are all so familiar with. And here's the significance of this name. In the Old Testament, this name in Hebrew means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. And so she is to name her son, who she's going to conceive without any human intervention by a man, and she's going to name him the Lord saves. And I have no doubt in my mind that in that moment, she is recollecting what the prophet Isaiah has said. Isaiah 7, 14, he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So about 700 years prior, Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah or that Emmanuel, God with us, would come by means of a virgin, right? And that he would come and that he would be the promised one. Further back, we go to Genesis chapter 3, when the fall is announced and when consequences for the sin of Adam and Eve are announced. We see in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is speaking to the serpent and the woman. And between your offspring, or another word for it is seed, and her offspring, another word for it is seed, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. And what we see here is the word is not seeds, 
It's seed. So all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God has promised that he is going to send a son by a virgin and that that son would rescue us from our sins. And so in verse 32, as we continue, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. I love that first phrase. He will be great. I think this speaks to his character. I think this speaks to his ability to teach, his ability to work with people. And there are many who historically would agree that Jesus was great. He was an excellent teacher. He was an excellent prophet, some would say. Some would even say that he had the ability to do excellent miracles, but many of them will stop there, that he is just a great man. What we see in the next phrase is very clear, that he is called the Son of the Most High. The Most High means he who is highest above all, and this refers to God. And the word in the Old Testament for this is Yahweh, meaning the self-existent one. In other words, basically what that's saying is that God needs no one in order to exist. He needs no one in order to function. And so the self-existent one is the most high. And when you say the son of throughout the Old Testament, it refers to this idea of a carbon copy. And so what is being said is that Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. And so in the same verse, we're told that Jesus is fully human and that he is fully God. And so as we continue in verse 33, we see... uh, or excuse me, I'm getting mixed up here. 32, he'd be great. Yeah, verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so what we have very clearly here, and what we have to ask ourselves is what kind of savior was needed to rescue mankind from sinfulness? And what we know is that he must be truly God and truly man. Jesus had to be truly God because it was only by being truly God that he could obey the commands of God and the will of God perfectly, And it is only by being truly man that he could be the atoning sacrifice for sins. And so because Jesus is the the God-man, he is the only one who can mediate between me and God. He is all that we have. And so that's our second point this morning is that Mary's son Jesus is God and man. And finally, Mary's response is to magnify the Lord. So verse 34 says this, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be? since I'm a virgin. And at first glance, as you, as you consider Zechariah and his wife, I don't know if you remember Zechariah, but basically when the angel told him his wife was going to have a baby, he was like, I don't believe you. And the angel made him mute for nine months, and he didn't speak, right? And so he doubted, he was without faith, and the angel takes away his ability to talk for nine months. And so it would seem that this is a similar response, but what we have here very clearly is Zechariah questioned if his wife could conceive... Mary, on the other hand, questioned how she could conceive. How can this be since I am a virgin? And so what we see here is that Mary is not doubting God's ability. She is questioning how it will come to pass. And so her response is is legitimate in that she is not with a man. She is not having a relationship sexually with a man. So how is this possible? And I think what this displays is the incredible faith of Mary in God. I think it displays the incredible humility of this woman, that she is willing to take God at his word and believe him. And and as we continue in verse 35, it says this, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so this explains now that the angel is giving her explanation. With Zechariah, he didn't give him any more explanation. He said, you didn't believe what I had to say? You're not talking anymore, right? With Mary... 
Because there is belief, because there is faith in God's ability, now the angel takes it a step further and explains how this will come about. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. A very important thing we must call out here is that God in no way physically interacted with Mary. God did not have sex with Mary in order for her to conceive Jesus in her womb. This phrase of the Holy Spirit is is also used early on in Genesis chapter 1, referring to when the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God is simply the instrument of God to directly create a body for his Son. Furthermore, it says the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Again, the Most High being he who is exalted above all. Right? And what we have to see here is that God, being the self-existent one, he is the one who created time, matter, and space. He is the one who created the means by which a husband and a wife come together and conceive and bear a child. Therefore, he is not tethered to that only. Because he created it, he can go outside of that normal means and he can create life. Explain to me how God was able to create all things from no things. Explain to me how God was able to take a pile of dirt and to form it into the image of a man and then breathe life into him. Explain to me how he's able to take an old married couple with a wife who had never born a child and to give them a child. And then explain to me how he could take a virgin and conceive his son in her womb apart from any human agency. And I believe he answers it in verse 37, with, all th- with, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And so because God is the one who created all things, this is not hard for us to believe. As we continue, it says, a child born will be called holy, the son of God. Already we see, again, that, that Jesus' nature is called out here, that he is going to be man and he's going to be God. And it tells us that he is holy, the son of God. We know that Jesus had to be uniquely created. And I I believe what has happened is that God, by a work of divine creation, by by direct creation, he supplies his son a a body in the womb of Mary. And I don't believe he needed any other means to help him do that. And so in verse 36, it says this, and it's almost like because she is believing what she's being told and she's soaking it in, the angel's just like, and by the way, let me give you this little detail too. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month where she who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And obviously, they didn't have Instagram, Facebook, texting, email. It's very likely Mary did not know this about her relative. It's very likely that she had no clue that she had conceived. And what we see is very incredibly important is that that, that though they had not had a child to this point, that it is God who gives the life. It is God who gives the conception. So nothing will be impossible for God. And so as we kind of come to a close here, verse 38, I think is my favorite verse of the passage. Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So how does Mary respond upon receiving the details of how she, a virgin, would conceive in her womb and she would give birth to the Messiah of the world? How does she respond Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. And this word refers to the lowest ranking female servant showing her complete dependence on God, showing her complete faith in his ability to follow through with what he has promised. Let it be to me according to your word. It demonstrates that I will hear your word, I will trust it, and I will obey it. And I think we have such an incredible example in Mary in this text. This this idea that she is able to Go through a circumstance that by all human knowledge is impossible. 
And that she's able to go through circumstances that are very confusing to her. And let's not forget also that for her to explain this to family and to friends and to the community, that she was pregnant with child even though she'd not been with Joseph yet, for her to go through all these things and to bear through all these circumstances and for her response to be, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let your word be accomplished in my life. I, I, I pray that that could be said of me. I pray that I could respond in a similar fashion when the suffering, the difficulty, and that the circumstances of life come in that I don't get. That I would be able to say, Lord, I'm your servant, and I'm going to obey your word. And so here's what I believe. I believe if Mary were here, and if she was aware of what is taught concerning her, I believe that she would be appalled. I believe that Mary would quickly and sharply turn our attention away from her. I believe that she would direct our attention away from the saints, and I believe what she would do is she would point to that. She would point to that cross, and she would say, I miraculously conceived the Messiah in my womb. I gave birth to him. I raised him, and then 30 years later, I watched him be nailed to a cross where he was crucified for my sins. He was buried. Three days later, he resurrected, and then I saw him ascend into the heavens. He is who you direct your prayers to. He is who we go to for rescue from sin. Because Mary would understand that she herself finds favor and grace from the same means. He is who we must worship. He is the one we must pray to. He is the one we must direct others to. For only Christ is a mediator between God and man. And only he can save us from our sins. And so as we come to our closing here, why is the virgin birth important for us today? The first reason I think it's important for us today is that God has moved towards us. In the Old Testament, God allowed his presence to be housed in a tabernacle or a temple, and the people had to come to him. And only a select few people ever even entered into his presence, right? So instead of it being God saying, you come to me, now God has made the move and he has come to us. He has come as Jesus was born and he walked in the earth and then he is now dwelling in us if we believe in Christ through the spirit of God. And so God has made a move to us. And I think this is so important, my friends, because the reality is we still sin. We still see the effects of sin. And sometimes we think we have to be a certain way before we can come to that cross. And what God has said is, no, I've come to you. I've made the way available to you. And the second thing is this, we are called to move. It is no longer the role of those who know God to call others to come to us. In the Old Testament, it was come to Jerusalem, come be among the Jewish people. Today it is, no, we gather so we can scatter. We hear the gospel, we are equipped with the teachings of the word of God that we might go to where the lost are. And so the virgin birth, I believe, enables us to magnify the Lord because apart from a sinless sufficient savior, you and I could not magnify the Lord. And it is because of Christ and Christ alone that we can magnify the Lord. And so, as we consider the virgin birth, we see this miraculous thing of God that his son is conceived in the womb of a virgin, he is born, he lives his life, and he dies, that you and I might be restored to God. And so because of Christ, we have hope. Uh, in the face of all the things we see going on, we have a hope that goes beyond any understanding. And I, I love, there's a quote that I skipped. It's only six after, so I'm going for it. Um, if I can find it, I'm sorry, really quickly. Okay, so Baker's word study concerning Christ and his kingdom. He says this, his kingdom is the only kingdom that will never end. 
He is the only king that will never lay aside his diadems or robes and that will never die. And he is the only king that can defend us from all our enemies, sustain us in death, and reward us in eternity. With that, let's stand to our feet and let's close in prayer and then we'll magnify the Lord in song in a moment here. Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you We thank you so much that you are willing to give your one and only son that whoever would call upon his name that they would be saved. And Lord, I know in this room that there are those who would know a family member. I know for me I have family members that I would love for them to come to that conclusion. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to show your glory and that you would use us to help make your son known. We love you and we thank you for the privilege we have to lift our voices, and we pray that you would be magnified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.